Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite guilty pleasure, the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always... By Chad Sowash. And today we are just super excited to welcome back Suresh Naidu, Columbia Professor of Economics and International and Public Affairs. Suresh, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. What you been up to, man? You know, I'm teaching. We're back in person. So it's coming back. So it's good. It's good. It's really true that when you teach students and you're like in the room, the energy and everything is just way better. And I think it's convincing me that the university will not be replaced by like online classes. Anytime Ooh, soon. Don't get Chad started. <laughs> don't get him started. <laughs> yes. Okay. So with that, with that being said, with everything that we're seeing since the pandemic, I'm sure you've been busy crunching numbers, citing things from history. What's kept you the most busy when it comes to this point in time and then looking back into history? Well, one thing I've been really interested in is actually trying to find a business, ideally like a restaurant or retail chain that's actually willing to take advantage of this period of both price and wage inflation to actually run an experiment where they're willing to like, I don't know, like randomize wages across, say, a bunch of different like cafes or restaurants or something and and yeah. look at like the retention and recruitment effects of that, like who comes, who leaves, who, uh, how quickly, how, how much better does service get? And the idea is that like, you know, so if anyone's listening out there that happens to like run a chain of businesses and wants mm. and is thinking, huh, this is, a, the, you know, the fact that like, you're probably going to have to raise wages in the next, you know, year, 
Yeah. Why not use it to figure out the ROI on on wages? Like, would I actually like make more money if I if I paid wage paid higher wages? Right. This is kind of like the best time to figure that out because you're going to have to raise wages anyway. Um, so why not like learn in the process? And so, you know, if anyone's listening out there that's like interested in running this experiment, shoot me an email. We might be able to uh, reach out to a couple of people because we we, we do know and they, we've had restaurants on the show before, at least on the hiring side. But before we get too deep into this, let's talk about, because we're going to talk about inflation today and, and obviously how wages impact that, but also some of the other areas that might actually have correlation to it. First and foremost, just the basic question, what is inflation? Yeah, so inflation is, uh, it's basically adding up across all of the, like there's a set of products, they're like, it's a basket of goods. It's like your rent, your energy, your car, yeah, you know, food. And uh, what you basically do is you look at how much of a sort of average person's budget does each of these things take up. And then you look at how much the price of each of those things went up over the last, you know, you, you'll see different numbers, you'll see month on month inflation, you'll see year on year inflation. Generally, it's like, a, you know, the, the scary numbers have been like the, the year on year inflation. So like inflation, you know, in March compared to the March of last year, it's like, oh, it's like, seven, eight percent, you know, what that is, is basically telling you that the average prices across all of these products have gone up by, you know, when you average over all of them have gone up by about, you know, seven percent since since a year ago. It's important to recognize, I think, when thinking about that number, that it's a it's an average over a bunch of goods. So, you know, a big chunk of that is purely and I think you guys have probably heard this. Other people probably have also used cars and cars oh yeah um and uh and some of it is also you know just even in the fact that used car prices have gone up like i think it's the case that when when we compute the cpi like we don't account for the resale value of the car so you know one of the things when you're buying a car you're also gotta have the opportunity to resell it but if you only count the price of the car without accounting for the for the fact that like you're going to be able to resell it for more in the future, you're kind of getting this gross price of like a used car. You're not kind of getting the net price because you'll be able to sell it for, for more later on. And so that's like, you know, even when looking at the used car prices, it's, 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 you know, there's like uh, some, some decisions that get made and how, what number gets used that, you, you know, if that decision went a different way and you would get a different number. So there's not like some sort of law of physics around like what is inflation that sort of tells you what exactly how it is. It's calculated in like slightly different ways in different countries, but it's kind of capturing this general idea that there's, you know, an overall increase in prices. And that freaks people out because, you know, both concretely when they when they think about going and buying a quart of milk and finding seeing that the price has gone up, that freaks you out. And you think about buying toilet paper or, or getting your essential goods when the price of those things get, get starts increasing. I think it just like has a psychological effect on people that's scary and understandably so. Um, and particularly when you don't necessarily see your wages sort of like increasing at anything close to the same clip. And then you're like, oh, am I going to be able to afford all the things I thought I was going to be able to afford? And so, and, you know, I think people are in fact changing what they buy at the grocery store because of the changing prices of meat and milk and things like that. Have we seen, have we seen high rates of inflation in the past? If so, when did it happen and how did we deal with it? Yeah. So we did in the seventies, most memorably, although it's, it's been kind of a concern, I think almost uh, always in, in, when you look at 
opinion data, for example, going back to, you know, World, World War II was then another period of like kind of crazy price inflation because there's like shortages of everything. And and so the price of, of basic goods is, is, is a lot higher. And people are, uh, during World War II, are very upset about inflation. And um, it's one of the things that goes into uh, union demands at the time included kind of putting in cost of living adjustments into into union contracts, for example, so that wages would keep pace with inflation. Similarly, in the 1970s, there was another rash of inflation precipitated by the by the oil shock and the oil shock. Plus, you know, people will generally say that there was some the fact that the, the Federal Reserve sort of like kept um, interest rates low, even in the face of this of this oil shock, probably amplified inflation. That's kind of the standard narrative. Uh, although I'll say the um, the evidence for this standard narrative is not what you what you think. It's what everyone thinks. It's what everyone says. But if you sort of like dig deep into it, it's not. It's like, is that really what happened? How do, uh, Sounds like propaganda. Sounds like propaganda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the problem is there's like lots of things that are happening at the same time. It's like Nixon goes off the gold standard. There's an oil shock. There's like Middle East crisis. There's then, you know, and then there's the, the wage and price c- controls as a response to the inflation. So it's just like lots of things are happening. And so it's just not clear which is responsible for the inflation of the 1970s. So I think I think we're going to see a lot of research on the 1970s in the next few years, just as like an attempt to understand that historical period of high inflation in light of like today's period of high inflation. So, so speaking of the 1970s, there was an article in uh, the Wall Street Journal last week uh, talking about the fear of a wage price spiral. Um, I could try to explain that, but you could probably do it a lot yeah. better. What would you say is a wage price spiral for our listeners? Yeah. So here's the basic idea of a wage price spiral, right? So you see prices going up. And so then workers start asking for higher wages and then employers then you know take those higher wages and then pass them along as higher prices, forcing workers and then workers ask for higher wages and then to higher prices and then at least to higher wages. So that's the spiral is that you know one of the the this this uh, like ratcheting up of expectations kind of takes off where it's like everyone thinks that prices are going to be higher so they're asked for higher wages now and then that results in prices being being higher next year and the process repeats yep, and around and around we go so the so the Wall Street Journal speculated that there are a few things that are different from the 1970s history uh, rhymes sometimes but this time it may be different they they cite an activist fed which was not uh, in, in place in the 70s less unionization uh, today, and also imports, which I assume would be the supply chain issues. So each one of those separately, how do you see those playing out uh, in current day uh, inflation fears? One of the big ones is is unions, because, you know, the things that unions asked for in their contracts was, in fact, these cost of living adjustments in the union contract, which would tell you mechanically the formula written into the contract would say that if inflation goes up, wages have to have to go up. And so that literally bakes into the cake this wage price spiral with the collective bargaining agreements. So it's it's and that's a very direct wage price spiral that's very hard to get in a world without unions, I think. Um, and like because, you know, workers in a decentralized way are like, yes, they would like higher wages. They would, you know, they're trying to keep pace with inflation, but it's not like locked into a contract the way it is with a union. So I think the mechanism for getting you wage price spirals is just really attenuated with when you don't have a labor market, you know, where like the biggest sectors and most important sectors of the economy are covered covered by collective bargaining agreements. The the imports are interesting, although, you know, I would say that it's underappreciated how important oil is as like an input into everything else in the economy. 
And it's generally the case that I think that oil shocks do propagate into like when the price of oil is higher, that that in particular pipes into everything. And I think that's also one thing that sort of happened in this particular round of inflation is that, you know, the the recovery from the early shutdown of 2020. And, you know, I think China's kind of continued economic growth and just, you know, the the world demand for energy got pretty high. And, uh, and I think it did drive up the price, the price of oil. And that's one of the, that's one of the contributing factors to, um, to like, I think the inflation in food and stuff, probably comes from 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 um, from energy shocks like that and then there's of course the supply chain issues which which you which you mentioned and that's the um, you know so the <laughs> I guess the point is that like we were less globalized in in the 70s and that's true but the point is today is that we're also somewhat less globalized because a lot of the structure because we built these super fragile uh, international supply chains that got kind of scrambled during the pandemic, and unraveling them and rebuilding them is kind of what we're going through now. So we're in some ways like less globalized again than we were, you know, even two years ago because of the pandemic and because of like the scrambling of the of the uh, supply chains. And that's kind of, you know, puts us again back in. So I would say it's like that thing, if anything, is more similar to the 70s because of the not because, you know, the policy trade is the tariffs are lower, but now but the supply chains are broken. Like if, if we just break the dam on this supply chain gridlock, do, does this thing kind of solve itself or, or, or do we still have issues? I mean, I promise you that inflation will come down in a year on durables. Ooh. I am like absolutely sure of that. Um, because it's, and that's the vast bulk of it, by the way, is the durable good inflation. Oh yeah. Like how much it comes down, open question, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm reasonably, reasonably confident it will, it will come down as these supply chain issues unravel themselves. So if we're, if you're in the uh, prediction making business, I got one for you. Are we in a, are we headed for a recession? Why or why not? So right now I actually think it's like the, it's the feds move on this stuff. So it's like the, the, you know, the fed has this dual mandate of, of uh, fighting both inflation and unemployment. And to the extent that it sort of sees this, um, this rash of inflation as sufficiently scary that it's willing to sort of trigger a recession to fight it, then we get a recession. But I think without the Fed actively doing it, I think, you know, we're probably still on track to at least have, you know, pretty high employment for, uh, for a while. But again, probably, and with some inflation, but probably not a huge amount. I guess I guess that's sort of like my my stance on it is like, boy, I really hope the Federal Reserve doesn't trigger a recession in order to in order to curb inflation. But that that's I think they're like right now the player in the short run for this. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating? manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about Text Kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> Seriously, though, seriously, text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, 
TextKernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener. Get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> so a couple of points. First and foremost, we'll talk about price hikes because margins have been bloating for decades. I point to, to Kroger. The CEO saw a pay bump from 12 million to over 20 million because of the pandemic. Chipotle Mexican Grill, Brian, uh, CEO Brian Nickel made 38 million in 2020, which is nearly 3,000 times more than the median store level employee. Then Chipotle raised prices across the menu about 4% in June of 2021 and blamed increases on worker wages. So oh, hell no. we're seeing CEO wages up from what used to be about 30%, correct me if I'm wrong, about 30% in the 80s. Today it's over 350%. And a guy like uh, Brian Nichols is just blowing it out. So are, are we are we really seeing this as more propaganda, smoke and mirrors and gaslighting as opposed to around, quote unquote, capitalism, as opposed to trying to to drive more equity and raise wages? So I think it's 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 complicated. I mean, so it's it is true that like for the first time since like the late 90s, uh -huh. The wages of low-wage workers are growing faster than anyone else. That's because they were so low for so long. That's because they were so low for so long. But but yeah. here we are. But it's also true that corporate profits are also very high, and 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 inflation is high, and so it's kind of you know this this strange pattern of economic growth where it's like we are seeing an increase at the bottom, and we're seeing an increase at the very very top. And then we're kind of seeing this this decrease or stagnation in the in the in the middle. And I think that's what's really politically problematic for for the Biden administration, right? Is like that's the median voter is uh, is is kind of like looking at their wages, not seeing that th those go up and keeping pace with inflation. But for for low wage workers, like if you're in the bottom forty percent of the of the wage distribution, uh, you're probably doing better than you have been in a very very long time. But if if you're someone on a fixed income, uh -huh. then you're not. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and then and then the fact is that that I will say that from what I've seen, most of the price increases are not in the sectors that are experiencing the wage increases. So if you look overall at services, including like restaurant and retail, those are the places where wages are going up. It doesn't look like those are the places that are accounting for the big chunk of the like their prices are going up. But that's not what's driving like a 7% CPI increase. Gotcha. Gotcha. So here, quick question. Does inflation and prosperity actually go together? Because when more people have more money, 
they go out and they spend more. And that's what we've seen, obviously, during the pandemic where the government sent out checks to be able to sustain and help people, you know, pay their bills and and get food and, and all those other things. But does pros- prosperity drive demand and then demand drive for goods? And we'll get into supply chain here in a second. That's my next part. But does that does prosperity really drive inflation? So is it in, is inflation really bad? So, no, I think like, you know, a healthy level of inflation, like anywhere between, you know, two and six percent, you can uh-huh. imagine is like pretty consistent with the with prosperity. I mean, inflation rates over the post-war period were generally much higher than they have been since 1980. So it's like uh, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but, you know, it was much higher than two percent. And, you know, people are worried about inflation, but we have fast enough growth that it's uh, it's like, OK, well, 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 people's incomes are growing, mm-hmm. are growing really fast. So I think I think there is a real thing in which, like, if we were willing to tolerate more inflation, we could probably have more more prosperity. It's hard to tolerate inflation when everybody it's like a boogeyman at this point. It is a boogeyman. And, you know, there's an interesting way in which, like, inflation is it's it's, you know, what Keynes called that, like like animal spirits on, on both sides. So the, the, the flip side of, you know, here's what a conservative would say is that, well, what inflation does is it actually also reduces the, the, the real return on investment potentially. And so, you know, high enough inflation is basically going to be a disincentive for people to save, for businesses to invest. And, uh, and that will actually be like a drag on the economy. So that's, that's like the, the anti-Keynesian view for example, on why inflation is a bad uh, is a bad thing, or there, there's ways around that, right? Because you can imagine the return, even if you're a business, right? You can always just charge the the inflation rate, and so you're not necessarily ex- exposed to inflation. So then, and then you're just like in a world like, why do you actually why why is inflation a bad thing? It's not something that we're sort of taught in e- economics or that we teach very clearly. It's like exactly why inflation is a bad thing. Yeah, we're gonna say something like, uh, the prices are all messed up and that's bad, but. It's uh, it's uh, it's not exactly like a um, completely compelling case. Well, having a 99 cent hamburger for the last decade, let's say, right? Prices not going up maybe in in that chain. Are Americans just spoiled? We want things 24-7 and we want them cheap. Since prices are rising, uh, the boogeyman comes out. I mean, shouldn't we expect a normal rate of inflation, and we should also be able to expect a normal rate of wage increase. So I have two two answers to that. One is that there's like the perception of inflation, which is just that like, even though the actual amount that you're spending uh, on milk, let's say, has only gone up a little bit, like you, you notice it and you just kind of get freaked out by it. Yeah. And uh, uh, and that's like a real or like the media keeps telling you that inflation is a bad thing. And so, you know, you, you guys have probably seen this about how, like, if you look at polling results by by political parties, like the Republicans think that inflation is way higher than Demo- than it is. And then then do Democrats, for example. Yeah. And depending on where you are in the country, I would assume, too. It, it's true. It's But even I think within the same place. Just like partisan beliefs about inflation are really yes. uh, are really strong things. So I think that's that that's a real thing. It's like inflation. Part of inflation is in the mind and and in the like collective mind. But then the other part of it is that like, well, no, there's a real thing about like I can't buy the things I used to be able to buy, and I've gotten and my wages aren't keeping pace with inflation, and that's like a real 
that's not just in the mind. That's a literally I cannot get all the things I need. And that's the kind of inflation we don't like. So that's that's I think what's hitting like if you will the the, the middle and upper parts of the wage distribution is like, oh, my wages aren't going up, but the prices of everything going up. That that means I can't, you know, buy all the things I plan to buy. I can't I can't do all the things I want to do and that's that's, you know, really materially costly, I guess. I like that you you talked about perception. And I think that sometimes perception is more important than reality. So the, the, the University of Michigan uh, Consumer Sentiment Index came out, I think, Friday of last week. It dropped to 61.7, uh, which in, to put it in context, is the lowest level it's been since 2011. Uh, 26% expect financial uh, prospects to worsen. Uh, that's the highest since 1980. How do you solve that historically? Is it just the messaging uh, from our leadership? Is it just better news uh, that we watch every day? Like, how do we get out of that funk? I think it is like better news. I think if we get like, you know, six months of like very strong jobs reports and like inflation doesn't sort of like doesn't get above like, let's say 6%, then I think, you know, people's expectations will go up. I think if the, uh, (laughs) I think people are, annoyed, upset that it does seem that like the recovery from COVID has maybe stalled a bit and that we're facing these these price increases. But, you know, on the whole, I think it's funny and I'd be curious what you guys think about this. It's like by the, by the numbers, except for the inflation problem, like the recovery from COVID has been as good as it can. Uh, well, not as good as it could be, but it has been OK. Like we're almost back to an, an unemployment rate of where we were before. And we're facing labor shortages because people have dropped out of the labor force. Mystery about exactly what they're, uh, what so many prime edge people are doing out of the labor force. Like, how are they paying the bills? They're driving Ubers in Arizona. That's what they're I, doing. That's, yeah. I, I would not be surprised about that. No, I think, they, they I think are. there's a way in which like the gig economy wound <laughs> up like absorbing a lot of people, a lot of like workers during COVID. So I know like in the construction sector, for example, in New York, a lot of the immigrant construction workers became delivery, delivery people on e-bikes. And that's just uh, and so they're not counted as unemployed, but then they're not counted as as but but, you know, they should be counted as as independent self-employed, but they're probably just getting missed by the statistics, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to supply chain real quick. I want to hit this up. It seems like we are having big issues with supply chains because we have a lot of workers who would immigrate to this 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 country to be able to fill all many of those gaps in the supply chain, either driving trucks or or working on docks or or what have you. And they stayed home with their family during the pandemic. So this has been again one of the points that I think we we miss is that we don't have as large of a workforce as we normally do because they stayed home. Now, do you believe that is one of the major impacts? And if it is, how long do you think it'll last? So you're talking particularly because like, we don't have the same level of immigration that we did. Yeah. That is probably definitely contributing to some of the some of the shortages in agriculture, I would get I would imagine in particular. But, you know, a, another side of this is that you know, I think we had like over a million retirements. Yes. During COVID. And yes. so just people just like, were like, I'm checking out early, like people that might have planned to work a, a bit longer. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, I'm done. And like, <laughs> retired. Screw and this. so it's, it, it's interesting, actually, like, like, you know, this is a grim stat, but like the Social Security trustees, you'd think, okay, all the mortality from COVID should have made, made the, the Social Security look more money in the Social Security trust fund, because so, so, so many elderly people died. But it turns out because enough people like 
retired. That's roughly even. Set off the balance. I get yeah. you. I get you. Okay. And so the, I, so I think that's another component of the labor force shortage is just a lot of people were like, I'm done and retired. And uh, and so you can think about Im- immigration as one of these margins. Retirement is another one. Another one's the schools and the disaster of like not having reliable childcare has kind of induced a lot of like women in particular yeah. to withdraw from the labor market. Uh, yeah. So I think it's, and you know, I think there's a lot of people that are just like scared of getting sick still for whatever reason and are like averse to coming back to the labor market for that uh for that reason right we're we're in a, an election year as i'm sure you know um yep. and uh it should be interesting uh to say the least i'm wondering what your take is on the election uh any predictions there uh i saw something today uh said really no one's happy with biden no one's really happy with a trump uh, a re-trump if you will for uh 2024 how do you see 2022 and particularly from a historical perspective when we see times of great inflation, what happens politically? So it's bad news for the party that's kind of blamed for the inflation, uh, I think, uh, generally. But it's also, you know, in the historical thing, it's like the party of the president gets wiped out in the midterms is kind of like a reasonably stable, <laughs> I think, uh, pattern. And so there's probably like given given the margins uh, of the Democrat majority in that in the House, that's like. Be, it would be shocking if they kept it, you know, I think all similarly in the Senate. So those are like my, that's kind of like my midterm projections, a com- combination of the inflation and the, um, and just kind of this homeostatic uh, reaction to the presidential party, you know, there's the, the, probably going to be, he's probably going to be governing a lot more with executive orders after next year. I would agree. Uh, which is really too bad because like you could you could imagine a different world in which like a Joe Manchin and cinema like were got with the program and mm. you were expanding, you know, you were using government to expand the supply of everything enough to like like make, make a dent in this inflation and really kind of deliver like lots of great paying jobs and stuff. But but doesn't look like we're, that's going to happen. That's, yeah, well, uh, I, I, I think it's important, you know, that we as Americans continue to have these discussions around it, not just being one points. You know, this is there are several layers that that actually impact inflation, impact wages, pricing, all of that, because it seems like we, we're getting a bunch of smoke and mirrors, which is one of the reasons why we have guys like you on that's Suresh Naidu economist professor extraordinaire over at uh, Columbia University man we appreciate you once again taking the time if somebody wants to connect with you yeah yeah you can find me on Twitter at Snidu NL the NL stands for Newfoundland <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or send me just should be an email at sn2430 at columbia.edu thanks Suresh Excellent, man. Thanks so much. I feel so much smarter, Chad. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to, what's it called? The podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know. And yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue, nacho, pepper jack, Swiss. So many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.com. 
GrilledCheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.